looking forward to that day, aren't you? I tell you, that's a new song I've learned recently, and it's just been something that, I, really, it's with Doc's home going. I've been remembering that song a lot. Because I tell you what, he was for sure one of the heroes of the faith, and I'm thankful for the way that God's used him in our lives. And uh, one day we're going to shout the hymn of heaven together, amen? You know, I thought about as we're preparing for this morning that so much of this time together as we gather as a church is really just a foreshadowing of what it'll be like that day that we all are gathered in that innumerable number. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just the, I mean, it sounded good this morning. Y'all sung great. But can you imagine what it'll be like that day in heaven surrounding the throne of God with all the saints through all the ages? And you know, the one thing that will determine whether or not you're there is whether or not you have received the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of us are debtors to mercy. All of us are debtors to the grace of God. And actually, we're going to see that today in this passage where we've opened together. I ask that you turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew, Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 25. Go ahead and find that there with me this morning. And as you're turning in your Bible to Matthew 25, you'll discover that we are in a series that we've been in the last number of weeks entitled Entrusted. We are walking through really one of the great themes of the Bible, and that is exploring this prevalent theme that is throughout all the Bible of of what it means for you and I to be a steward. And in our first week together, we did just that. We considered what a steward is. And if you remember, what did we discover from our time together? We remembered that a steward was somebody with a very great responsibility. They would have been a person who was entrusted something very precious, and they were given the responsibility of using it and multiplying it and furthering it for the purpose of the one who owns it. And that's why throughout this series, we've been saying this phrase together. We've been saying that God is the owner and that I am the manager. Can you say that with me this morning? That God is the owner and that I am a what? A manager. And we've discovered that in the Bible times, if you would have been a steward of a great landowner, it would have been one of the greatest things that have ever happened to you. You would have been given such incredibly high privilege. You would have been given an opportunity to do what many few were lucky to even have the privilege to do. And so, because what was so amazing as a steward, if you remember, is that what was so amazing is you didn't actually own anything, but you used it as if you owned it all. And so what do we discover in our series? We've been walking through stewardship, and we've considered what stewardship is. We've considered the last number of weeks the stewardship of creation. Last week, we talked about the stewardship of our wealth. And today, we're going to talk about the stewardship of our gifts, the stewardship of our gifts. We've opened it there in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Now listen, this may be uh, one of Jesus' most famous passages of Scripture that we're familiar with a story that Jesus has told, and uh, out of all the stories that Jesus tells, this is probably the most memorable one in terms of the issue of stewardship. And so as we've opened our Bibles to Matthew 25 this morning, what I want you to consider is how Jesus describes stewardship for us in this passage. He is not only speaking to us in terms of this present life, but for Jesus, the issue of stewardship is a matter of eternity. So would you stand with me this morning? We're going to open up God's word, Matthew chapter 25. 
verses 14 through 30. And as I prepared for this morning, I'm reminded that the one thing that every one of us need reminding of this morning is we need to be reminded of who God is. That we need to be reminded of who God is and who by faith we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a passage that does just that. Matthew 25, pick up with me beginning in verse 14 and we'll read down through the end of Jesus' story. Jesus said, for it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents and to another two and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. And so also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, Master, you delivered unto me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground here Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what is my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will, for every, for to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, we pray right now as we've opened your word together that your spirit would be our teacher. Lord, I pray right now in this room that you would fill our hearts by your spirit, that, Lord, we would hear what you have said. And, Lord, this story that is far more about our earthly life, and it speaks far more about what is to come, that, Lord, you would help us this morning to consider the life that you've given us, the life you've entrusted with us. Lord, our gifts, our time, our talent, everything that we have, Lord, help us to use it in a way that would further your kingdom. Lord, I pray that whatever each one of us need this morning that you would speak to hearts in a way that only you can and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now notice this morning, uh, if you're taking notes with me this morning, the thought that you can jot down for the title this morning is the stewardship of our gifts. The stewardship of our gifts. Notice with me the beginning verse in verse 14. Jesus starts the story this way. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. And you say, it'll be like what? 
What is this going to be like? If you'll back up in your chapter, notice the very beginning in chapter 25, verse 1, Jesus tells us the setting of what he's describing. He says, for the kingdom of heaven will be like, of what we just sung about this morning. So what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 25 is he is telling his disciples a story. He's giving them a story of what is soon to take place and how they are to live in light of it. Because notice, he says in verse 14, everybody look in your Bibles, Jesus said, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now let me ask you a question. Whose property is it? Whose is it? God's. Well, at least in the story, whose property would it be? The masters, right? And, and the master in the story is, is a picture for us of God's. What is Jesus saying? He's saying it's God's stuff. It's God's money. It's God's gifts. It's God's talents. And so what is he saying? Notice, he is describing for us the story that a master gives his servants. He entrusted to them something to steward. But the reminder that we all need to be aware of this morning is that the master still owns it even though he's entrusted it to you. And notice beginning in verse uh, 15, notice how he divvies it up. To the one he gives how many talents? Five. To another how many? Two. And to another how many? One. And notice the Bible says, Jesus said he gave to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now, listen, this passage of scripture, we just kind of jumped into Matthew 25 this morning. But what you'll discover, those of you that are Bible students are aware where this story is situated in the larger gospel of Matthew. If you'll just turn back a page in your Bible and look at the heading for chapter 24, what you'll discover is that Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is now teaching his disciples. He is giving them some stories about how he wants them to live in light of what soon will take place. Jesus here is near Jerusalem, and he understands that in a very short period of time, he would be going to the cross to give his life as a ransom for many, that he would conquer sin and death by rising from the grave, and that he would ascend to his Father. And Jesus knows that all of those things are soon to take place, and in light of all of that, Jesus is giving his disciples what, what many of us refer to as the Olivet Discourse. This was one of the messages of Jesus, except for in this passage, Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples. It's, it's, this is not just an isolated story here in Matthew 25. It is a part of a group of other stories, much larger stories, that together, the whole unifying theme of all of them in the Olivet Discourse is that while Jesus would soon be going away, how are his disciples going to live in light of that? Can you guys believe it is November? How many of you feel like this year has flown by so fast? Can I see your hand? Newsflash, Christmas will be here in less than eight weeks. Can you believe that? Some of you that has got them excited. For others of us, we're like, wow, where in the world did the time go? Now, we're going to enter into a season here as a church in just a few weeks known as the season of Advent. Uh, the word Advent is a word that means coming. And, 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 and as we enter into the season of Advent, what is the coming that we are focused on? Someone tell me. The coming of who? Coming of Jesus. Which coming? His what? 
His first coming, the first advent, the incarnation, when Jesus came to this world. John's gospel tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory The glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so in just a few weeks, I'm sure you're going to gather with your family and together we're going to celebrate Christmas and we're going to think about baby Jesus in a manger. We're going to think about God entering into this world and taking on humanity so that he would identify with us as he goes to the cross. And as as we think about all of that, we remember that that is the first coming of Christ. But the Bible teaches and Jesus teaches that there's not just a first coming coming, but there will also be a what? A second coming. And that time, Jesus is not coming as a baby. He will be coming as what? King, ruler, and judge. And so what do we discover here is that Jesus comes in this first advent, this first coming, and that one day we know that his return is imminent. And we look forward to the day when Jesus will come now as king and judge. But guess where you and I here in 2021 are located between those first two, the first and second coming? Where are we at? We're dead in the, we're in the middle. I'm not sure how far one way or the other, but we're in between. Someone say, everyone say it with me. We're in between. We're in between, right? We're in between these two events. And notice what Jesus is telling his disciples. He wants them to understand how they are to live in the in-between. How are they going to steward their time, talent, treasure, ability, all that God has given us to further his kingdom. Now, before we understand what Jesus wants us to understand of how we're to live, we first and foremost have to figure out what in the world is a talent because Jesus gives one guy five, another two, and another one. And so we have to understand what is a talent. Well, a talent is a literal unit of money. It was used in the Greco Roman world to signify one of the largest units of money. A talent was not a coin. Everybody get out of your mind. It's a coin. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's not a coin. It's not a coin. It's a unit of money. It's a unit of measurement. Like, uh, like we might say, you know, a, a million or a billion or a trillion. It's a, it's a unit of money. And in the Greco Roman world, a talent would have been the largest unit of money that they would have to calculate with. What, what is a talent? A talent in that day was estimated to be the equivalent of nearly 20 years' wages for the common laborer. You get that? That if, that if they were to take the common average wage of what the common day's labor was making and then add that up over not just one year, over 20 years, 20 years would represent one talent, all right? So some of you are like, man, Aaron, you got to help me. It's 1030 on a Sunday morning. I need more help. Mentally, I can't do the math. Good, I'll do it for you. I did it last night. All right? What is a talent? 20 years labor. Well, we're told the Bureau of Labor Statistics has told us that the median salary in the United States right now for the whole continental U.S. is just a little over $54,000 a year. Take $54,000 times 20, you'll get uh, equivalent of over a million dollars. Over a million dollars. So even when Jesus gives one guy a million, that is nothing to kind of shrink back and say, that's a small amount of money. How many of you would agree a million dollars is a lot of money? Can I see your hand? It's a lot of money. 
And, and, and notice what Jesus is saying here. The, every one of these guys are getting an incredible opportunity. They're getting the, the opportunity of a lifetime. This guy gets to steward over a million bucks. That means the guy that has two talents, how much is he stewarding? Two million. And the guy that has five, he's stewarding how many? Five million. Or better yet, think about it in years, the guy that has five talents, that's a hundred years wages. The guy with two talents, 40-year wages. The guy with one talent, 20 years wages. However you look at it, these guys are getting a serious opportunity. Now listen this morning. If you're taking notes, let me give you three things. First, in this story, I want us to consider what Jesus wants us to consider, and that is first, consider the generosity of the master. Consider the generosity of the master. You know, when we discover and we read the story, what do we discover right from the outset is that this master is one incredibly generous guy. He gives his servants five talents representing over a hundred years' wages. I mean, really, as Jesus was telling the story in the gospel, this would have been something that was so unfathomably heard. I mean, I mean Jesus is dealing with units of money that... that that are so beyond which was common in that day. And Jesus wants us all to get the picture that the master is incredibly, extremely generous. Even the guy that gets one talent, it's still unbelievably generous what he's being asked to steward. You say, why is that? That's because the Lord Jesus Christ, our master, our king, is an extremely generous master. He's an unbelievably generous king. Now you say, okay, well, that's how much a talent is, but what does it signify? How many of you think a talent here represents money? Can I see your hand? How many of you think it represents time? Can I see your hand? How many of you think it represents our ability or our gifts? Can I see your hand? How many of you think it represents our personality and our stewardship of, of, of us? Let me let you on something. It's all of it. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this morning, it's all of it. It's all of it. It, it, It's all of it. It's all of those things. It's our money. It's our skills, our ability, the gospel. It's our time. It's our vocations. It's our opportunities. Jesus is making this point that the master is extremely generous. And he's given to each one of his servants what he has entrusted them with. And it is all of it. And so in this story here, as we work it through, a talent represents everything that God's given you. Everything that God's given you. I want you right now to do a little mental math to start thinking through your family, your children, your spouse, your relationships, your bank account, your job, the friends in your life that need the gospel. You think about all these things that, that God has positioned your life with, your skills, your abilities, your personality, all of it. God's uniquely gifted you. And notice what we discover. We see that here in this passage. We see the generosity of the master. Notice in verse 15. What's so interesting is he gives to each according to his, say the next word, ability. Now, this should not be taken, and sometimes this passage has been taken, to say that the guy with five was somehow more talented than the guy with one. That's not true. What is Jesus saying? He's showing the difference. He's showing that all of it represents that even in our life, how many of you would just take a moment and just look around the room this morning, look at the people that are here, 
and think about the opportunities and income and jobs and vocations that God has put even within a room this size, how many would all agree we are very different? And the master has entrusted to each one of us those differences as he has seen fit. Man, Friday night, I was with our young people for an all-nighter. I'm telling you, if you weren't there, you're missing out. Next year, I'll sign you up to drive the bus, all right? It's great. Had a great time. I came back at 6.30 on Saturday morning. I hit the bed, and I woke up. I said, Jessica, my legs hurt. She says, it's because you're so tired. There's this thing called a deficiency of somehow when you get tired. Dr. Doug can tell us, you know, there's something happens with our body, and it makes us remember, like, hey, we're not okay. Well, Friday night, we went out with 20 teen, uh, a group of 20 from our church leaders and students to join, get this, over 800 people in the Roanoke Valley churches for an all-nighter. It was exceptional. It was, it was incredible what they did. But we're there at the Berglund Center with a group of like 4,500 people watching a hockey game. And any of you love hockey in particular? Wow, that's a lot of you. That's uh, good. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I don't share that love, but, but we were there watching this hockey game. And I just, everybody's just yelling for them to fight, fight, fight. You know, I'm just like, okay. And, uh, but... But, 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 but the picture of that night was that the, the 10 most talented players are out there on the ice, they're out there on the rink, and they're battling it out while like 4,500 people watch from the stadium and the stands. Can I just tell you right now, that is not a good picture of what the body of Christ should look like. It's absolutely not. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not where the top five, ten, six top talented people are doing the game. That's, that's a terrible analogy for the church. There's a much better analogy in the Bible that the Bible gives us for the church, and that is a building or a flock or an army. The church is an army. The church is a conquering army. And, and we're told... I, I think about the Getty song that goes like this. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our, caption, captor, our, Christ, our captain. And I think, about, I, I think about that passage in Ephesians where, where, where Paul tells us, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. And the picture of an army is that everybody's involved, everybody's engaged, everybody is essential. Everybody has been entrusted with a responsibility, with a function. And although, just as you think about an army and all the vast uh, details that are requiring to get troops to the front lines, you think how every person is involved in that process. And although there are different functions, we all are engaged in furthering the mission of God. So when you've opened your Bibles here to Matthew 25, the talent is not about, um, it, it's not about how much better the five was than the two was. The amount is not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is what they did with it. Okay? It's what they did with it. So Jesus here wants us to see the generosity of the master. Every one of us have been given something by God. Turn to your neighbor and point him out and say, you've been given something. You've been given something. We've all been given something by God. Every one of us have been entrusted with something, and the Bible teaches that we've been entrusted with these generous, good gifts by the Spirit of God to use for his kingdom. Ephesians says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. 
Romans says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. What's the point? All of us have been gifted something by God, and all of us have been gifted by grace. None of us woke up this morning thinking we deserve something. All of us woke up this morning realizing we are debtors to God's grace alone. And these guys were given an opportunity by sheer grace to steward something for the master. Now, keep on going. The whole point is that the master wanted a return on what he had given them. We'll see that here as the story unfolds. So notice first, what do we consider? We consider first, the, we see the generosity of the master. Second, notice with me this morning, what do we see? We consider the opportunity of the steward. The generosity of the master. Secondly, the opportunity of the steward. Notice, what do the stewards do with the money? Notice in verse 16, the Bible clearly says that he had received five talents, a hundred years wages, went out at once and traded with them and made five talents more. I mean, you got to picture the story, right? The master's given this guy five talents, a hundred years wages, and he's thinking to himself, whoa, what an opportunity, what an opportunity. How much money? I mean, he's just, his mind just can't even comprehend what he's been given with, what he's been given to steward, and instantly his mind's eye starts going to all these possibilities, opportunities, and creativity, and all the things that he could possibly do with the master's resource, and so notice you see it there in verse, in verse 16, he went out at one and traded with him. He didn't, he didn't just make one good trade and then call it quits. Uh, the, the language there in this verse is that he's, he's trading, he's, he's spending, he's leveraging, he's buying up lands and selling them and, and he's making all of these investments. So that what? He then made, someone tell me, he goes out with 100 years wages and he comes back with how much? 200. Wow. Notice then the next guy. What does the second service do? Also, he had two talents, went out and made how much? Two more. He goes out with 40 years wages. He comes back with how much? 80 years. Now, these guys were excited about the opportunity they were given. Do you realize that there is a tremendous opportunity with being a steward And somehow, I think the church of Jesus Christ has a lot to learn in this regard. You know, sometimes when you think about the church or how churches talk about giving, how they talk about serving, how they talk about being involved, I mean, sometimes it seems rather boring. Okay, pastor, I'll give. (laughs) Ah, they need children's volunteers. Again, Carolyn says, okay, I'll do it. Right? Ah, wild game. Ah, okay. I guess I will. Man, how about some excitement? How about some creativity? How about being a part of the greatest mission on earth? How much more excited could we get about stewarding all that God's given us? I think it's exciting when we reach out, branch out, risk, do things that we've never done before to see God's kingdom go forward. These guys got it. They they, they went out with the master's resources. They went, they traded, they invested, and they come back doubling all that they've 
been given. But notice what the third guy does in verse 18. But he had received one talent, 20 years wages, great opportunity. He went and dug in the ground, and what did he do with the money? Someone tell me, what did he do? He hit it. He takes the talent. He's not excited about it. He's scared about what he's just been given. He's been given 20 years wages. He doesn't take the opportunity. He doesn't take the risk. He doesn't, he doesn't try to multiply it. He doesn't even deposit it in the bank for interest. He's concerned about his own comfort. He's concerned about his own safety. And so what does he do? He buries the talent. He buries the talent. Now notice verse 19. Jesus tells the story. Now after, say those next two words with me. Now after a what? A long time. Say it again. Now after a what? A long time. See, that's partly part of the problem with being a faithful steward. Is that there's this gap of time between you're given something and when you're expected to have a return on the investment you've been given. We're not told how long of a time, but there was a long time that went by. And the master of those servants came. And notice what does he do? He settled accounts with them. You know, some of us think about our life when we've committed. How many of you can remember how old you are when you came to know Christ as your Savior? Can I see your hand? How many of you, it's been a long time since you got saved? <laughs> it's been a while. We, we received something, and now the day when we're going to stand before God and give an account of it, we, sometimes the longer the delay, it makes us think it's not coming. But if we all lived every day of our life in the awareness that the Master would return and that He would be coming soon, how much more different would we live? I mean, I think about as I was growing up, I had the great opportunity and privilege of, of working for Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. Even to this day, I can't get sick and tired of eating a chicken sandwich. I mean, it's just great. Chicken nuggets. And so I had the great opportunity of working. I started when I was 15 years old, and I worked uh, faithfully. I was homeschooled, so I worked like 15, 20 hours a week from the time I was 15 all the way until I went off to college. And, and, and I'll never forget, working at Chick-fil-A, uh, we had a store owner. His name was Mitch. Now, Mitch was not always at the location because he was like the store unit operator. He owned not just our unit, but he owned another unit. And so he had a lot of administration, a lot of employee details. He had an office apart from where he was there. And we had store managers and everything. But, but the atmosphere in the restaurant always changed when Mitch was coming. I'll never forget the, one of the, lady, the lady that trained me. She was... Even like a couple of weeks in, she says, hey, Mitch is coming today. we got to be all on our best behavior. I said, who's Mitch? You know, I didn't, I didn't know who he was. Oh, he's the owner. So like the day when we know the owner's coming to the restaurant, I mean, it's pristine, it's clean, everything's the way it is. And I would watch even years later into management, I would just watch when he would show up to the restaurant unexpectedly and just watch people's behavior. It's like it, it, it just changed. Because there's something different when the master shows back up. And the fact is here, the master has a delay in his coming right now. We're living in the in-between. But there, my friend, is a day when the, when the master's coming back. And there's a day of accounting. See, what do we discover here? We see that we, we're to consider the generosity of the master. 
We're to consider the opportunity of the steward. And then finally, we're to consider the accountability of what awaits. We're to consider the accountability of what awaits. Notice in verse 20. And he who had received the five talents, notice they're all there. Day of accounting's come. Uh, The master's arrived. He's going to now uh, uh, judge and give an account of our stewardship. The Bible says that one day Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And so there is one day that every one of us will stand and give an account to the master for how we've used what he's entrusted to us. And notice, notice the accountability of what awaits. Notice in verse 20, the guy with five talents came forward, bringing the five talents that he's been given. You know, you think about the hundred years wages, if he, had a, if he had a money bag of all that money, I mean, it's just like a massive amount of money. He may not even be able to lift it. But he's like, five talents is what you gave me. And then notice what he says. He says, Master, you delivered unto me five talents. He says, here. And that word here is really the word look in Greek. He says, look. And he points to how many more? Do you think he's excited? <laughs> he's ecstatic. <laughs> He's like, you gave me 100 years wages. I didn't know what to do. I was, I was, I was, I was considering all that I had been given. I, I didn't know what, I, but I just knew at once. The Bible says at once he went out and traded. At once he went out to do all these things. And after the master returns, he's like, you gave me five, but, but look, five more. He's pumped. Same happens with the guy that has two. Notice he says, master, you give me two talents. Notice in verse 22, I've made two more. I mean, the same thing is happening. They're they're pumped up. I mean, this passage, can you sense the joy that is just pervading this passage? They're excited. The servants are excited to see the master. You're back. The master's glad to be back. And he sees what they've done with it, and he's really thrilled. And then notice how Jesus, after they said they've made two more, notice, 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 notice what the master's reply is. Verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over how much? A little. Been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. You see what's happening here? The master called all of those wages little. Because how they, entr- how they did being entrusted with that is the joy of what they will have one day stewarding, enter into the joy of your master. Now notice what happens to the third guy. His master, notice in verse 23, verse 24, then he had received one talent, came forward and saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. What does the master do? Verse 26 and 27. He scolds the guy. He could have at least invested his money with the bankers. But notice what happens. He says in verse 30, And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you say, ooh, is that a little bit of an overreaction? No. No. 
Because what is significant of this third guy? Well, notice his words. They're accusatory. He blames the master. Do you get that? you see his words there? Verse 24, you reaped, you're a hard man, he says. He accused the master of being hard and difficult. He, he, he's, 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 he's blaming the master for his own wastefulness. He's playing the victim. He's, he's saying that, notice, his words actually reveal that he doesn't know the master at all. He's resentful of the master. He's resentful of the master. He's, he's resentful of, of this opportunity. He misrepresents him. Can I ask you, my friend, this morning, is that you? Are you angry at God this morning? Because you don't really know who he's like. You think about this life that you've been given, you don't understand it. What's the point of it all? And so you resent God. But you don't know what he's like at all. So what is this picture all about? It's a picture of, notice, this third servant. I like how Francis Chan put it. He says, our greatest fear should not be failure, but succeeding in life in things that really don't matter. You see, the third slave was not simply unfaithful. He was faithless. Because we're told that true Christians... Even the Christians that waste their abilities, their gifts, their opportunities. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, they, the things will be burned up and he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet as though through fire. This is not contradicting a gospel of grace. This guy, the third servant, was faithless. He represents the people in this world that have been given and entrusted something by God, a life to steward. And they waste it on themselves. And they never know the master. They don't, they don't invest their resources in things that multiply for eternity. And so here's the guy. You know, you see these people. There's the guy with five, the guy with two. And the guy with five and two Notice, I mean, the guy with two, he could have looked at the guy that had five and said, well, that's not fair. And some of us get fouled up in the Christian life because we're playing comparison. I tell you, the comparison game never goes well. And they could have looked at what they were given in comparison to somebody else and, and said, well, look what I have. And yeah, this could have been more. Notice they didn't say that. They, 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 they simply invested what they were given by God, by the master to use, and, and they multiplied it. And so it's not a point that the guy with two should have gotten five. It's the point that the guy with two made two. The guy with five made five. It's the point that they were faithful with what they had been entrusted with. So this morning as we end, let me ask you three questions about you. Because the Bible here, Jesus is making the point that all of us are stewards. Not just the people that know Christ as their Savior. Not just the people that have recognized Him to be the right Lord and Master of their life. Jesus is making the point that all of us as God's creation have been entrusted with something. All of us have been given family and resource and personality and treasure and talents and opportunity. And all of it has been entrusted to us by God. 
But what the master wants is a return on his investment. He wants to see that what he's blessed you with and allowed you to steward would be stewarded for his purpose. And the, way, the, the reason why the third guy got it wrong is because he wasted everything on himself. So notice what are the three questions. First, let me ask you this. Not answering for anyone else in this room, answering for you. Right now, what has the master entrusted you with? Not, not looking down the row from somebody here and thinking, oh, I wonder what God's given them. I wonder about that. No, no, no. What has God given you? You. Me. Think through right now. Can you get an inventory of all the things that God's entrusted to you? Think about your family. Think about your job. Think about your talents and your treasure. Think about the abilities and the skills that God's given you. Think of your personality, your passions, your life experiences. All of it's been entrusted to you by God. What has the master entrusted to you? Secondly, question. How are you using it and leveraging it to make a return on his investment? Once again, not, not, not how are other people in this room. Not how we as a church, although by God's grace, I pray that we are. But how are you? How are you taking all that God has entrusted you with, that bag that could represent your life, and how are you leveraging it to see a return for God's kingdom one day? It's that. It's not always about the money. There's many ways that God can use your life apart from what you have to give. So your friendships and your opportunities, your mentorships, your discipleship. But God expects a return as an investment. And so how are you using what God's been giving you to then turn and leverage it to make a return for the kingdom? And then finally, here's the last question I'll leave you with. How does your use of what's been entrusted to you, demonstrate whether or not you truly know and love the master. Could people look at your life and the way that you live, the way that you love, the way that you give, the way that you serve, could they look at your life and say, that person must know the generous master? Because of the way they're living, the way they're stewarding? Or does your life maybe represent that you don't know the master at all? And one day when you stand before God, he will say those sobering words to you that are in the Gospel of Matthew, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because your life never represented him. When people look at your life, they would, they would question who your master is. And so it's a sobering question for all of us today. What have I been given? How am I leveraging it? And does my life reflect that I know and love Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for this passage that teaches us about life and eternity. Thank you that you remind us that, Lord, this life is a very short thing in comparison to what awaits. 
Every day of our life, we're to be living our life on mission, to be stewarding our life in ways that advance your gospel, both here, around the world. And so, Lord, personally and individually, I pray that right now we know, Lord, what it is you've entrusted to us. But God, by grace, may we have eyes to see and a heart to imagine what you could do through our lives individually. Lord, give us a holy ambition this morning to do something incredibly different through our life to see your kingdom reached and and, and multiplied and furthered. And then, Lord, may we be the kind of people that we need to be. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We bow our heads out of reverence for the Lord. We just close our eyes in the season so you're not a distraction to someone else or to yourself. May I tell you what, there's been a pile of people this morning that have asked for prayer. There's about a dozen, half a dozen cards it looks like or more. And uh, would you come this morning in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and gather around these steps and to hold up in prayer what someone's asked for us to pray about. But maybe you'd come and pray and then you want to pray for yourself this morning. Kneel before God and think about the accounting of one day you'll give. What in your life today needs to change to be a faithful steward of all he's entrusted you with? Would you stand with me this morning? Jessica's going to play as our heads are bowed before the Lord. I invite you right there in your chair to bow your head and heart, to pray to the Lord, to consider those questions. But I invite you right now to come and to pray for many people in our church that have requested prayer. So would you just come? We're not going to sing this morning. The invitation's open. You just come. Come and gather and pray. Pray for another. Pray for yourself.